Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Patrick Cullen and I am here listening to these pumping 80s jams on the back of the Cricket World Cup being finished. Christopher T. Party, how are you, big man? Mmm. Mmm. Yeah. That's good stuff, Pat. I like it. I like it. You're on point straight away on the front Thanks, foot. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much. Now the middle of that. Great start. Great start. I think we've seen the introduction to um, musical interludes to uh, One Day International and uh, T20 quick Cricket. It's about time we brought it to the audio format um, of the game, and uh, what better way than uh, time of time of my life? Well, I think we can safely say that we've had the time of our lives, Chris. Mm. I mean, our sleep patterns haven't, no. but we certainly have. Yep. What a game that was last night, mate! What an extraordinary time! Yeah, it was wild, just incredible. Um, what a way to finish off. Um, oh, you could make an argument: best World Cup ever. I think. Um, Certainly, in living memory. It's the best, um, the best final, the best mm. West World Cup game in history. Chris is what they're saying. Yeah, what the people are saying. And like, I think it's one of those things. Like, um, the low score, the low scoring ODI is undersold, um, well and truly undersold. Uh, it's in in a World Cup that we were talking about scores of four hundred plus. You know, um, neither side could muster. Well, the side batting first certainly couldn't muster two fifty. Um, and the side batting second didn't look like it. So, um, just a great game for if there is such a thing as a 50-over purist, um, <laughs> you know, and there might be now. Um, I think it was wonderful. I think it was a wonderful um, advertisement for cricket. Um, obviously, disappointed the Australians didn't play in the final, but I, I think as a neutral, um, you know, both those two teams um, ran hot throughout the tournament. Um, and, um, you know, left us with a, a, a lasting memory and, and a game that, you know, we're going to be excited to watch, you know, highlights and repeats of this on YouTube for years to come. Um, oh, mate, no want. doubt there, no doubt. And listen, like, I was up, I fell asleep, Chris, with my phone in my hand at three in the morning mm. this morning. Um, I woke up at 9 a.m., um, with my phone in my hand and drool out the corner of my mouth with uh, just a desperate need to know what happened in those intervening five hours. Mm-hmm. And watching those highlights this morning to catch up on the yeah. the drama of the last over of the game, the super over, um, all of it was just insane. Oh, Rules we didn't know existed ended yep. up playing a pivotal role. Mm-hmm. And that's the way cricket should be, Pat. I th- <laughs> If ever there isn't a game for obscure rules playing a pivotal part in a deciding match, it's cricket. I mean, if ever there's a game for a rule to pop out of the middle of nowhere after you've been training your entire life and studied in for great detail for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and then an obscure rule that you don't know anything about um, to come out, come out and bite you on the bum, it's cricket. And that's why we love it, I think, amongst many other reasons. But, um, I mean, just um, talk about high-stakes stuff, um, you know, and uh, 
neither side could have Mate, there were more better. twists and turns mm-hmm. and highs and lows and plot twists mm. and backstabbings last night than the entire eight seasons of Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, I think the the drama was of a higher quality, especially than the entire last season, Chris, mm. is what I'm prepared mm. to go out on a limb and say. Um, and do you know what else? I mean, we haven't even got a bulletin out yet, but I, I think we'll go and cut to one in a second. But, you know, I think the way that Kane Williamson handled himself... Yep. In the throes, in the face of that wild last hour, yeah, and how he approached the presser afterwards, and just his overall demeanor and the way that he—I mean, yeah. I would have been a screaming, crying, howling mess, Bardo. Yeah, I would have been calling for the ICC to be yeah. sacked. I would have been calling for the players to be sacked. I would have been talking smack about the Poms. I would have been going up to the bloke who gave out the trophy and bloody punching on. I would have been yeah. a, a danger to myself and others. No, and Williamson well, you, was far better than that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, nobody does irrational outrage better than you, Pat. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I've seen it. I've seen it. The whites of your eyes. Um, uh, you're not a physical man, but you can certainly see the blood rise. Um, but I mean, I think New Zealand, um, in the last 12 months, in a sporting sense, a uh, political sense, um, you know, this is a it just acquitted themselves really well. And, um, this is a nation on the world stage, so I think everyone's growing to admire, um, in a number of regards. And, um, Kane Williamson was the epitome of that. I mean, player of the tournament, I mean, what a terrific. Terrific tournament he he's had. We've all come to appreciate him. I think um, in a light, you know, um, more than we ever have. Um, and the way in which um, he conducted himself when you're quite right, um, the law, the 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 situation of the game, the circumstances of the game would have warranted a bit of um, outrage. He was just calm and composed and diplomatic and um, you know um, played in the right spirit. Um, that being said, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, I, I think um, the laws of the game let down New Zealand. I, I think they need to be oh, l- looked at uh, because of a number of... Because, first of all, because of what happened for, if, with a few things in the 50th over. And then also, I think the way that the, the tie was resolved, um, I take issue with. And we'll, we'll get into that later on. But uh, look, hats off to New Zealand. Um and hats off to, to Ben Stokes too, a, a native of New Zealand. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. you know. That's a complicating factor. That's a complicating factor. Uh, you know, I mean, wonderful innings from him. Uh, just absolutely marvellous. Uh, New Zealand's fielding was uh, immaculate, um, exquisite. Uh, it was just, I mean, everything that you want from a from a, a one-day international match and the, the best 50-over cricket has to offer. Um, I just... Yeah, I'm not sure about the Super Over. I'm not sure that's the best way to resolve that game, but um, we can get into that later Mate, on. Sh- should we should we dive straight into Michael Wood, given that we're just talking about New Zealand? Should we drop in some Wood? Or would you, do you reckon we should go for TK straight off the bat? Go for some England joy? But should we shade the joy for the end of look, the episode I, and do the sadness now? Look, I think we need to acknowledge the, that we should finish on a positive, finish on a high, and um, judging by um, topless images that made its way into the Tufanun two group chat uh, overnight. <laughs> He's got an interesting chest hair pattern, TK. He's got a couple of... He does, doesn't it's he? Really, it's fascinating. He's got like a bird wing up, up top and then there's not much and then there's another <laughs> little bit. Um, you know, he's a unique man, and I'm sure it'll be a, a unique bulletin. But uh, look, I think uh, 
we opened with a musical number and now we need to move into uh, the second number of the evening for sure. Listen, um, people started listening to this podcast, Chris, not not knowing that it was going to become sort of 40% musical extravaganza. And I can't say how happy I am about that. Now, I, I asked Michael for a song and I don't know if he's delivered it or not. He's just sent me a voice file. I have no idea what's on it, right? I haven't listened to it. So we're just going to, we're going to jump straight in here, folks. This is Michael Wood, our Kiwi correspondent. Let's hear what he has to say in the wake of this, this crushing defeat New Zealand suffered. I promised the boys I'd write another song today. And win or lose, I was fully prepared to do that. However, right here, right now, I don't have it in me. I'm just too devastated. Maybe down the track in like six months, I might do something. So for now, I'll try and sling some words together. I could get into some in-depth analysis here, but I think I might leave that up to you guys. I don't even know if I have any jokes. I'm going to put my notes to one side and have a chat about how I'm feeling. I'm crushed. Totally crushed. I feel for the boys. To finish with a tie and a tie after the super over and then lose on a technicality is a tough pill to swallow. Of course, I say that as a New Zealand supporter. However, if it so happened that we had more boundaries and had won on the count back, I'm not sure I would have felt completely satisfied. This is a new rule. Previously, matches at the World Cup have been decided by least wickets lost. New Zealand would have won under the old rules. I wouldn't have cared if it went on for another two hours. I'm a supporter of playing super overs until there is a clear winner. On the other channel, we had the Wimbledon final of Federer and Djokovic, which seemed to be just as much of a slog. I couldn't imagine in their final set at 12-all that they would have just stopped and had a count back on how many winners a certain player had to decide the championship. In New Zealand's batting innings, there was a long time in the middle overs when we hadn't scored a boundary. But that's just our style, to accumulate runs, rotate the strike and nudge it round. In the end, that style of play cost us, even though we got to the same total England did, playing their new boundary-hitting style which they've developed over the last four years. They are the rules. It's hard to accept it. When it went that way, we were unlucky on the day. And it's semantics. But I think of it as England winning rather than New Zealand losing. New Zealand Prime Minister and cricket fan Jacinda Ardern said, I feel nothing but pride. And I'm with her on that. What a side New Zealand are. They batted fairly well, and in hindsight better than I thought they had at the halfway stage. They bowled brilliantly, especially Bolt and Henry in those first ten, and were unlucky not to pick up more. The first ball, Jason Roy, was clearly out, LBW. The fielding was on point. I hope no one blames themselves. There are so many small moments that could have gone either way. What if I'd done this or saved that run, etc.? What if Taylor wasn't given out LBW as it was going over? What if Trent Bolt hadn't stepped on the rope, having caught Christchurch-born Ben Stokes, therefore allowing it to go for six? What if Ben Stokes' dad never got that job in the UK and so the family stayed in New Zealand and then Stokes went on and played for the Black Caps? And of course, what if the two plus four overthrows hadn't happened? But as Kane Williamson said, it's all part of the game that we play. We were on the unfortunate end of some of these cricket intricacies this time. It wasn't meant to be. All of us in New Zealand are gutted. But there will be another time and another opportunity. For New Zealand to be part of the greatest game ever played in cricket history, it's wonderful. 
King Kane, your leadership is inspiring. You're my hero. The whole Black Caps team, you're all my heroes. And England, congratulations. Very well played. Well, look, uh, Michael, thank you so much, mate. You know, we usually play a game with these interjections where Chris and I can jump in at any time and, and make jokes and um, and provide some analysis. But B-Train, I really didn't want to during that. Um, no, that I was... felt like wood. Ah, it was utterly superb. It was classic wood, wasn't it? Um, I gotta, I've got to say, I, I absolutely agree with his analysis there. I mean, he says he, he didn't provide an analysis. It was... Uh, it was an emotional response, but I, I think it was it's one that was warranted, and we'll we'll you know we'll, we'll delve into the joy that England uh, is deservedly experiencing at the moment after you know being probably the best side in, in one day international cricket over the past you know a couple of years. Um, so I think you can make the argument that the best team in the shortest form of the in, in the shorter form of the game um, won, but I agree with him in that the new rule failed to recognize the best team on the day um in my mind if you score um if you, 241 and only lose your eight wickets um and then the other side uh scores 241 but loses all 10 of their wickets then clearly they have exhausted more resources to get there um they were less able to perform one of the key functions of the game uh and therefore we're not the better team better side on the day by that measure um, I think the super over, uh, well, the last, certainly the last over um, where Ben Stokes um, accidentally got in the way of a, um, of a throw, uh, I'm just not sure that that's fair, that that's, that's overthrows. That's not a fielder error. That's not a fielder error. Yeah, and mate, Phil Tufnell agrees with you. Um, so I've been reading this one today from um alex spinks posted me a link to it and and uh, it looks as if there was a serious umpiring mistake in the way that that decision was given so um the guy who's one of the heads of the umpiring rules simon tuffnell i should say not uh, Toffel. simon um, Toffel. i think you're confusing simon, simon Toffel. Toffel. phil tuffnell uh, what would phil tuffnell know about it um <laughs> Sorry, I was doing that from memory before I pulled the article up like a freaking mug. Had my tabs all mixed up, but I've, I'm with you now. So our mate Cy, right, um, who's on the board at the MCC, which writes the rules, he said, it's a clear mistake. It's an error of judgment, he said on Monday. The relevant clause in the rule book is this. So, folks, just to remind you, um, uh, they need like about nine runs, eight, nine runs off that last over. Stokes pushes a ball down to mid-wicket. Um, it gets fielded. They're coming back for the second. And as they're coming back for the second, the throw comes in and Stokes's bat gets between the ball and its destination, the stumps. Um, it bounces off his bat and heads down to the rope and goes over the rope. Um, so overthrow, this is rule 19.8, overthrow or willful act of a fielder. If the boundary results from an overthrow or from the willful act of a fielder, the fielder, the run scored shall be any runs or for penalties awarded to either side, the allowance of the, for the boundary, and the runs completed by the batsman, with the run in progress if they had already crossed at the instant of the throw. Um, Talfer, he didn't defend the officials in that moment because there were so many moving parts, yada, yada, yada. But given that the batsman did not cross at the time of the throw, 
that as part of the rules, the batsman should not not have swapped for the next delivery. And instead of being awarded six because they didn't cross, they should have been awarded five, which would have meant that, he, that New Zealand would have run the game by a run if that decision was given correctly. And look, you can't sledge the umpires too hard here. Like, it's a World Cup final and there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a very complicated moment. Yeah. Um, you've got to feel for the Kiwis. Yeah, look, I'm not sure I agree with with that. I, I think in the sense that um, it is such a big moment and your role is to officiate the game correctly. And we take time for LBWs. We take time for catches. Uh, we take time for just about every other critical decision in the game. I really don't have a problem with taking. I mean, maybe they did. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't party to the conversation, obviously, but I don't really have a problem with taking an extra minute um, just to look up the law and say, okay, what's happening here? If there's one time where no one's yeah. going to care about you taking an extra couple of seconds to determine the number of runs. It's the last over of a World Cup final. It's really, it, it, I, for me, it's that's disappointing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> in fact, of all the times, please take all the time in the world in that particular situation. Yeah. Send it upstairs. Okay. Let's have a look at the video referee. Um, so that was that was disappointing. I, I think, um, I mean, in my view, I think that law is wrong. Full stop. I think that's not a fielder error because if a batsman interferes with the ball or runs on the pitch or you know, ha- you know, handle handle ball handle ball is a wicket. So. Mm. Anytime um, a batsman interferes with the natural trajectory of the ball, um, and it's not as if it was a wild throw either. It was going towards the stumps. I, I just... Oh, man. Um, I think that law is wrong. And I, I think, obviously, the way... It, but the way it was interpreted, it was wrong. Um, I think um, the super over in and, in and of itself is wrong. Um, I don't think it should have gone to a super over. I think that's an unnecessary pandering to the enter- entertainment factor. My other issue where I think, again, the laws of the game or the um, innovations of the game failed New Zealand is at the end of the Super Over, they were 15 all. It was 15 all. And 15 all. Um, to, I, I just don't understand. For me, uh, to the boundary rule, the, that you scored more boundaries in scoring your 15, well, that's, that's pointless to me. That's a ridiculous rule because... 15 runs is 15 runs. You know, I don't... Some of the greatest... And I know we're talking about another form of the game here. But some of the greatest centuries ever made... I mean, Damian Martin scored 100 runs in Sri Lanka um, at a strike rate of 33. And that was a wonderful innings. And Whereas... Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, it, and then you've got... I do, mate. It penalises uh, a style of play. It style of play. And, and it's, it's, it makes it same that... Yeah. You know, that England's... That hitting boundaries is more valid than actually running the runs, yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Which it is not. It's called runs, mate. You know? It's called runs. It's called runs. It's not called... Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can score boundaries, obviously, but the boundaries convert into runs. Um, and so... Do you know what I've been thinking about, mate? I've been, I've been thinking about that cricket is a game of millimetres. Yeah. Paid over days. So, so let's think about this first ball, right? This first ball, Trent Bowles... Trent Bolt bowls to Jason Roy... Folks, it's a beautiful in-swinger. Left armour, in-swinger to a right-handed batsman. It comes on back. It pitches on middle. It comes back and it hits him and it's going on to hit leg. First freaking ball of the English innings, right? Mm. The, it gets given not out by Maria Erasmus and um, the Kiwis review it. 
and on review, it gets given as umpire's call, i.e. it's too tight for them within the margin of error to safely say whether it's hitting the wickets or not, and it goes to the on-field umpire's decision. The ball on the ball tracking, <laughs> it has to be more than 50% of the ball contacting the stumps to be given out, mm. and it's about 48 there's about two millimetres of stitching between that being given out by the machinery and that being given umpire's call. Mm. And if those two millimetres go New Zealand's way, then Jason Roy's heading back to the canopy without making his 33 and and the Poms lose it. Fast yeah. forward to the last over and Guptill's throw in, if that is two millimetres shorter or two millimetres fuller, then it misses Ben Stokes back. Yeah. I just think... Um I think at the end, of the, I think at the end of the day, um, the uh, interpretation of the game to favour um, entertainment has cost New Zealand a World Cup. Um, I think um, the interpretation of the fail to the failure to interpret interpret laws correctly in a critical moment has cost New Zealand a World Cup. Um, I and I, I just think the, the to me. Um, if you're tired at the end of a super over in, in in football in soccer, right? If you're tired at the end of a penalty shootout, you keep you, you keep going until there's a clear winner. Um, you know, in tennis, yeah. And why couldn't we do that? Why, I don't I like. Don't why can we do another pe- another super over? I don't understand. Like, and, and why? I don't understand. Um, why? You know, in tennis, if it's a fifth set, uh, they you know they don't go to a tiebreaker. They just keep going until someone wins by two games. So I think there are. I think there are. Um, and tennis sucks, but tennis. I hate tennis. That's, yeah. that's it's a crap game. I don't that's like well. It. Re- that, yeah. that is known. No. Um. I my my <laughs> thought, my thought would be, um, uh, get rid of the super over. Look, if you insist on having some some form of extra inning, um, you know, let's borrow from cricket's cousin, baseball, uh, where they mm-hmm. go to extra inning. I mean, that's another point. They just keep going until so- there's a winner, right? Um, cricket's not a game that's afraid to go long either. Let's be let's be real about that. This is a game that's played over five freaking days. So I don't. I would have thought um, instead of one over each, let's play five overs each. Um, yeah. That would have. I mean, yeah. you know, and then you give yourself more chance for a um, for for a result, a clear result. Um, it's still limited overs cricket. You still get um, some sort of thrill of the chase and calculation and all this sort of thing. Um, and you can you know, and then you're Five best bowlers can bowl one over each. Yeah. You know? Um, I love that, Chris. That's a great idea. Why don't we do that? That's yeah. an awesome idea. Well, yeah. Somebody somebody call the ICC somebody call the and tell them the B train's got it solved. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I do. I feel like, you know, I mean, sure. Look, again, in a in a um, meaningless bilateral series where there's 12 people in the crowd, you probably don't need it. But in a World no, Cup guess. final um, where we're looking to... Uh, to, to demonstrate the best that the world has to offer in terms of limited overs cricket, uh, I think the five overs is appropriate. Um, if it's a 2020, sure, sure, go to your super over. That's fine. But let's respect what 50 over cricket is. And I don't think the innovations of the game have done that. Since we're here, mate, oh, can I mention one more thing before we move on? Sure. <laughs> The end when the Poms got awarded the trophy. Did you see the head of the ICC not know which way to go? <laughs> he hands the trophy. The pyrotechnics about to go off. They've got the entire English team there ready to raise the trophy, and the bloke does like um, 
uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. He goes, oh, 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 does a left, right, left, <laughs> and just gets off camera in time. <laughs> it's cold. If you haven't seen it, do. He's a bloke in a white coat. Fire out. It's funny. Um, listen, Chris, I'm tempted to play Tom right now. Okay. Because I think we might as well go from straight one into the other and just wrap the whole final um, and just hear the joy in his heart. Yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's let's hear him. This is Tom K. Hawkey, our English correspondent with a bulletin from a Brit. Hi there. Tom K. Hawkey here with a jubilant, exhausted, but ultimately victorious bulletin from a Brit. Look, I had pre-prepared all sorts of nonsense statements to say here in case England won. Somehow, in the light of the drama of the game, the greatest game there's ever been, they just wouldn't seem right. After 100 overs, the teams couldn't be separated. After two more, they still couldn't. And so it came down to the number of boundaries hit. Even without the ones that came from Trent Bolt's foot and the back of Ben Stokes' diving bat, England had just done enough. And on Ben Stokes, wow. What an innings. I have never in my life seen a cricketer look quite so much like a boxer. That's not a dig alluding to past indiscretions outside nightclubs. He looked like a man who'd gone 12 rounds and was desperate for the judges to score in his favour. New Zealand clearly beat England, but Ben Stokes beat New Zealand. Whilst it took a century stand of epic proportions between him and Joss Butler, it was Stokes who somehow made the impossible maths become reality to tie the game. If I ever have a child, I will call them Ben. Even if, no, scratch that, especially if it's a girl. And not just Ben either, Ben Stokes. Ben Stokes Hawkey. And if she dares complain that she's being bullied, I'll force her to watch that super over on repeat until she realises that having a boy's name is nothing compared to what English cricket fans went through in 2019. I'll leave it to you boys to dissect the two innings in much more detail. I'm too drained to piece together a coherent commentary. I watched every ball of the match up to the super over when my feed cut out. I was reduced to frantically refreshing the text update for news of each of the final 13 balls, thanks to Archer's Lucifer. What pressure on such young shoulders. And yet he saw England home by the very narrowest of margins. If I have twins... Ben's sister Joffra would be just as delighted about the origins of her name. Ah, oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you, mate. Excellent work and good on him too. He's up to four in the morning and he had to get on a plane and he dropped us a tape. And Tom's just been so wonderful through this World mm. Cup. You know, I kept expecting him to gloat in a way which would hurt my insides and he's <laughs> gloated in a way which is filled my heart with joy yeah um, yep. and that's truly something yeah. to be respected and look chris we've we we've, we've spent a long time bemoaning the laws and the unfortunate things that happened to the kiwis and what we haven't said about that world cup final is how extraordinarily in yep. england played and, and how extraordinarily they've played over four years you know um the the way they batted and as tom said there you know this partnership between butler and stokes was extraordinary um 
Ben Stokes in that super over looked completely out on his feet and, and somehow he, they managed to get them home. And, and you know what, Chris? While you and I have problems with rules and we have problems with circumstance at points, what we are here to applaud is excellent cricket. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this game was extraordinary cricket, mate. Like, this is... I'm on a rant now, but this, this, you know, Bardo, so often in life, people say to me, they say, what do you do with your spare time? And I say, I make a cricket podcast. And they give me this face like I've just told them that I, I defecate in public or that I, you know, eat eat sushi through my nostrils these or people? something. That <laughs> I, I'm some kind of sick freak right. um, for, for enjoying a game which is quote unquote boring. Mm. And and I'm going to pass along Tom's point. You know, if anyone can watch that hundred deliveries, that hundred and twenty-four deliveries, I should say, or hundred and twelve deliveries, and and not find themselves enraptured by the skill um, demonstrated by Stokes, by Matt Henry, by Trent Bolt, by um, Jimmy Neesham, and and blown away by the commitment and the ability and the drama of it all, then they can really go and throw themselves off a bridge. I mean, just extraordinary, Bardo, from from both sides. And England do deserve all the praise that, that they can get. I'm, yeah. Uh, you know. Look, um, one of the, I mean, I'm just frantically trying to draw the comparison here one, one of the one of the players that we've that i identified that ben stokes reminded me of in the way that he approached his cricket um was lance klusner klusner yeah and so i'm just frantically just trying to bring up the um a, a bit of a comparison here because what the first thing that came that came to my mind when i when i saw that was um in the the 99 world cup which is 20 years ago in england um that was klusner's tournament right he was Utterly spectacular, and if you watch that, you should take some time and watch the highlights of Lance Kluzner in '99. Um, if you look at Kluzner's um, one-day international averages uh, with the bat, averages uh, 41.1 uh, at, at a strike rate of 89.9, and then with the ball, um, incredible figures: 192 wickets at an average of 29.9, an economy rate of 4.7. Wow. Right. So as far as short format of the game all rounders go. Um, just unbelievable. And um, whilst he did have some T20 uh, cricket to his name, I think Klusner would have been one of the all-time greats had he played in the modern era. Um, Stokes, by comparison, uh, interestingly, ODIs um, has a batting average of 40.63 at a strike rate of 93. So very similar there in terms of the batting. And then with with the ball, um, he's... uh, Average is not quite as good as uh, Lance's. It's it's 41 with an economy rate, an economy rate of uh, six, um, which probably says more about the era that he's playing in. But um, at this stage, what one thing that, that uh, Stokes has been able to achieve, which um, Lance Klusner was not able to achieve, is is not only winning a World Cup, but being able to win the big moment at the World Cup. Um, and of course, we we hark back yeah. to the '99 semi-final where Klusner was incredible. I mean, you just got to watch. You just got to. He was incredible in that game, and it was really only in the final moments when, uh, in the final moment, uh, where he was let down by um, Helen Donald, suspect running between the wickets. Um, uh, but in this moment, uh, Ben Stokes. Uh, was also let down by some suspect running between the wickets, uh, which I guess 
speaks to two things. One, Stokes was able to recover it and, and help to win the Super over. Uh, but also, uh, it, it really shows that uh, how the game can change according to the interpretation of, of, a, rule, of a rule. And um, we would have had a different champion. But that being said, Heck of an innings. Heck of an innings. Heck of World Cup, actually. Yeah, heck of a player, um, you know, Heck of a player. Uh, Kane Williamson was player of the tournament, but you can make an argument yep. that um, Ben Stokes had the, had the two biggest moments of, of the World Cup. One um, was that incredible yeah. catch to open the World Cup in the outfield. Oh, extraordinary. Um, was extraordinary. You know, recovered a, a near impossible position to take the catch. Uh, and then, obviously, fi- obviously the, uh, his final innings here in the final um, to recover a nearly impossible position for his team. So those are things that I think um, we have to tip our cap to Ben Stokes for. Um, it'll be remembered in many ways um, as his tournament. He'll be remembered as England's man, I think. And um, for right now, uh, he has moved ahead of Lance Klusner in that that 1v1 historical battle, battle that was uh, occurring in my mind. Um, if... <laughs> Yeah, listen. And Stokes has got it. I'm sure they both Mate, care about got, that very got, much. I'm, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they're both listening to the pod, Chris. But why wouldn't they? Um, seven wickets Stokes got at 35 across this World Cup, um, as well as, you know, 465 runs at 66. I mean, that's an extraordinary effort. Um, and, and you really can't go past it. And look, like... I feel so much for the Kiwis, mate. I really do. It breaks my heart. And you can hear it in Michael Wood's voice. Um, and I, I, I am very pleased that Kane got player of the tournament. I think the way that he went, led New Zealand, 578 runs and an average of 82. Um, but, you know, more than that, the way that they, like I say, the way that he behaved in that press conference and the way that, you know, New Zealand held their head high um, after really, really being screwed over. Ugh. Really extraordinary, um, and it, you know, uh, it steady the ship. That's all I keep mm. saying, mate. I'm going to go buy myself a hat. Um, you know, bloody good on him, um, Chris. I, I feel like I'm I'm happy to to wrap that there. I don't think there's anything else we can really say about that in- incredible game. Um, I think I think we've said it all. I, I, the only other thing, I guess, having said that, I wanted to mention was Lockie Ferguson. Um, and how much of a wonderful find yeah. he is. You know, in yeah. this game, we saw Ferguson and, and Archer, two brand-new quicks um, out of New Zealand and England um, who have really taken the game by storm, and, and they've really found a winner there. And I can't wait to see him um, when he, they come out to Australia later in the year to play some yeah. test matches, yeah. um, to see him bouncing out some Aussies at 154 clicks. Just rapid, great moustache. Get him in, and the Gronholm, the big man's nippers, but yeah. little little seamers from the yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking wickets. I've always said the Gronholm has massive nips. Um, <laughs> I can't prove that. Um, <laughs> slander. Um, apologies. I'm sure they're perfectly fine. Please don't sue us, Gronholm. Um, please, please. Yeah, I'm sure they're great nips. Um, <laughs> look. That being said, Pat, we've just had a blockbuster. Now, England can't afford to go to sleep. Do you know why England can't afford to go to sleep? Because in nine days, nine days, their test side will face arguably the biggest battle they've ever faced. And now you might be thinking, Pat, that I'm talking about the Ashes. No, no, no. No, no, no. I would be thinking that, Chris. What What are you talking about? Are you aware, Pat? That test number two hundred, sorry, two thousand three hundred and fifty-two, will be 
the first time that Ireland plays England in a test match. Oh. And it's taking place at the home of cricket. So, um, <gasps> don't go to sleep, England. Don't sleep on it. Don't you sleep on that, England. Don't you sleep on that. Don't you sleep on that, England. Don't sleep for a moment. Um, mate, what I've done is I went around to our correspondents and I've asked them to send me in short tapes to sum up their World Cups. Sure. And I think we can use that to wrap up this World Cup and reflect on a really great tournament. We have indeed had the time of our lives. Um, so I, I was thinking we could crack in. We've got tapes from Chris Goodrick. We've got tapes from uh, Adam Hassan. And I've got one from Spinksy to talk about the Aussies, which I might save to last to lead us into talking about some Ashes mm, mm. action B-train. All right. Um, so who would you like? Uh, I'd love to hear some Adam, Adam Hassan. Adam Hassan. Adam Hassan. Let's get the young man. Let's get the young man in and around it and see what his thoughts are Hassan. on Pakistan's campaign. Uh, this year if it wants to load come on you here we go here we go here we this go is a, let's hear from Adam Hassan this is a side point Cut. so England the World Cup champions and what a final it was and you know what fair play to Ben Stokes he was incredible I mean he even middled that deflection stunning display from him <laughs> but on to Pakistan a slow start to the tournament but we picked up momentum really well in the last few matches and a shame that we just missed out on the semi-finals. A highlight of the tournament was definitely the performances of Shaheen Afridi. 16 wickets in 5 matches at an average of 14, a strike rate of 17 and an economy of under 5. To see a 19 year old bowling so well with the new ball and at the death at almost 90 miles per hour was incredible for Pakistan and a worrying sight for every other country who could have to face him for the next 10 to 15 years. Another highlight was Wahabi Yaz's batting. He hit more sixes than any other Pakistan batsman and he had the fourth highest overall strike rate of any batsman in the tournament. The worst moment of our World Cup campaign was our first match against the West Indies which basically put us out of the World Cup. The other two real disappointments were the two best players in the Champions Trophy two years ago, Hassan Ali and Fakhar Zaman. Hassan Ali took two wickets in four matches at an economy of 7.8 leading to him being replaced by Shaheen while Fakhar Zaman scored 186 runs in 8 innings at an average of 23, with only 150. We've seen how crucial... We know how you feel there. That's pretty much what Glenn Maxwell's figures were. (laughs) 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 Know how you feel there, Adam, mate. No, I get it. I'm with you. Opening partnerships have been this World Cup, other than for New Zealand, who can win regardless of what their openers do. So it's a shame Fakhar Zaman couldn't go on and get the big scores Pakistan fans have become accustomed to from him. Overall, I'd say this World Cup was a 6 out of 10 for Pakistan. We played excellent cricket at times, but just lacked the consistency to be able to push into the top 4. But lots of young players with bright futures ahead of them, including Imam al-Haq, Baba Azam and Shaheen Afridi. Yeah, I, I, I feel that, man. I might really think they've probably come out of the World Cup better than they went in, Bardo, the Pakistanis. Um, the find of Shaheen was just massive uh, but yeah a couple of early losses there really nearly put him out yeah I think we um, saw the redemption of, of Pakistani cricket towards the back end of the World Cup tournament didn't we um, they had a fairly lengthy dry spell leading into it and you Oof. really didn't seem to be a lot of worse than me in my early 20s there Chris <laughs> um, and 30s <laughs> Um <laughs> Hey, 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 hey. Come on now. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, hey, hold on. Um, 
No, and look, I, I think we really saw the redemption of, of Pakistani cricket. They had a massive dry spell and and really watching those games against Australia where they lost 5-0, aside from perhaps Harris Sahail, uh, there wasn't really much to write home about. So to see Wahab Riaz, who was incredible, um, Fakhar Zaman, as he talked about, um, and Barbara Ali uh, really emerge themselves and, 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 and bring their talents to the fore for the neutral was nice to see. I, I think world cricket is better with a strong Pakistan side. Uh, that yeah. They bring something which not many other sides bring when, when they're up and about. And energy and enthusiasm and electricity in the way that they go about their cricket, you know, they're, they're wildly unpredictable. But when they're at their best, they're wildly unpredictable in a wonderful way. And we saw yeah. elements of that. Their, their victory against New Zealand was... Extraordinary. extraordinary outstanding and if we can see that on a more consistent basis and and perhaps the the um the environment in pakistan doesn't allow for that um the Maybe. circumstances from which the cricketers come from because they certainly don't enjoy a lot of the same uh creature comforts that england india um australia do uh, and they have yeah. to play away from home. Being able to play in their own nation, you know. You know? So uh, I think we saw the best of Pakistan, and, and it was a wonderful sight to see. They're, they're, as Adam has pointed out on a few occasions, you know, you, even on the television, um, on the laptop, uh, you could see um, and hear the passion that their fans brought to each game, and it was it was wonderful. Um, so I'm really really glad that uh, that as I said, we saw the redemption of Pakistan in this tournament. Let's hear from Chris, the good man, Goodrick with a bit of South African action and see if he can't uh, give us a few gags. But uh, put the comedy in this cricket comedy podcast. Let's see what uh, the good man's got for us. God, I'm glad I bought those that license. <laughs> Toto would be knocking down my door. South Africa, why do you do this to me? <laughs> I set my alarm for 20 to 3. <laughs> Eating eggies on toast. We watch as we got bumped out by the hosts and lost to the Bangladeshis. <laughs> South Africa, why do you do this to me? I put a bet on with my New Zealand colleagues. We dropped catch after catch with no AB in the match. And the small island nation of South Island, North Island, Chatham Islands and Stewart Island came away with the victory. South Africa, why do you do this to me? I've been getting gears from Bardo and Paddy. I said Roboto would take heaps of wickets, but it turns out he was just rubbish. And we got rained out by the windy. Hold up, Chris. <laughs> I gotta say, some, some of those lyrics, <laughs> they, uh, they work really well. But I think my favourite bit is some beautiful rhyming patterns there. My favourite bit is where complex like, poetry. I can't be. I, I know I got a rhyme here, but I'm just. I gotta get some points out too. I'm so angry. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Let's get back. South Africa, why do you do this to me? <laughs> I invited everyone around for lamb chops and poiki. Amla could not get a century. The last time was in February and I had to leave to go to Fiji. South Africa, why do you do this to me? Why did we have to lose to the Kiwis? 
will at least we beat Stryer, which prepped them against England and denied them a six World Cup victory. Well, guys, I just want to recognize a few of our great cricketers that um, are retiring after this World Cup. So JP Dumini, uh, he's got South Africa out of a lot of sticky situations in the past and, and really been a great servant of South African cricket for a long time. Thank you, thank you, you bloody biscuit. <laughs> Imran, the Kalahari Thunder Tahir, where do I start? Where do I start? What a man. Thank you for oozing thick, stretchy goodness that could span the South African desert dunes with your passion for our country and excitement that has single-handedly made this World Cup incredible for the protest supporter and given us hope in situations where there was none. Beating Australia was great, but your performance gets player of the SA team for me. Imran, we say thank you. You have been the bloody best 40-year-old player on the planet in this World Cup. Boys... I'm going to end with, with saying, South Africa, prepare well for this next World Cup. Be better. Be brave. Uh, take more risks um, in your preparations for the next World Cup. Be positive. Uh, be, be pioneers for the game. Get a game plan together. Don't continually change the team. Let players get comfortable and settle into the team. And most importantly, enjoy the game more. Um, don't take it too seriously. Be more like the Kalahari Thunder Imran Tahir and enjoy yourselves while playing. And lastly, be better than this last World Cup. All right, boys. Going to leave it there. We'll see you later. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Kutrick. You absolute legend. What a superstar. What a what a jam there, Bardo. Yep. Do you reckon that's going to go to number one, mate? Do you reckon I should put some beats under I, it and do a remix? It's right for a remix, isn't it? Uh, right. It's right it's for a right. remix. Um, well, hey, the two for no musical. It's taking shape, isn't it? It's coming. It's taking shape. It's coming. It's taking some shape. If you are a two for none fan and you'd like to do a remix of Chris Goodrick's track there, maybe with some some fat beats and some big drops, um, send me an email. Ginger Snap Sydney, all one word at gmail.com. I would love nothing more than that in my heart. Um, but oh, mm. some big retirements big there for retirement. the South Africans, right? Um, JP, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Imran Tahir mm. with AB already gone. That's and Dale's probably not long for this world, mate. I hate to say. Yeah, no, he's got a. He probably has an expiry date. Um, look, generational change for South Africa. Generational change. Um, amazing, really. Um, in some respects, their performance at this World Cup. In other respects, not amazing at all. Uh, completely true. To, yeah, no, completely terrible. True to form. Um, I think they were a little bit unlucky uh, in terms of injuries and, and things like that. Um, uh, Ngidi and Rabada. Uh, clearly did not fire. Did, didn't fire, but uh, they're young. You know, they're young. They're they're any, they're really young. You know, they got some yeah, time. Yeah. So next World Cup, they'll be phenomenal. Absolutely. So you know, I I have um, aspirations for South Africa for the next World Cup for the next four years. And you know, in five minutes, you know, on, you know, in the next bilateral series or triangular series or quadrangular series or pentagonal series, um, <laughs> they're going to be amazing. <laughs> They're going to be amazing, and yeah. they're going to—they'll turn it on. They'll turn it on, of course. Uh, it's what they do. So again, I don't know who plays South Africa next, but I, I wouldn't be taking them too lightly. Just, a, just a, a just a disappointing performance at a big tournament, and I, I don't understand what it is that's happening. 
No, me neither, mate. Me neither. And, and I, I feel sorry for them. It's something to do with their brain. And brains are plural. Um, and maybe there's some inspirational speaker. Maybe we could see Malcolm Gladwell down there to talk to him about outliers, but uh, maybe there's something in that. Um, mate, Jai Singh wasn't able to get in a tape, but he has just sent me a message um, with some thoughts he'd like me to read on his behalf. Um, so uh, I'm just going to rip through that, and we can have a quick chat about India. Um, highlight for Jai was the win against the Aussies with a dominant top order, and I agree with that. That was that was a pretty impressive performance from India. The low light was a semi-final collapse and loss. Um, best performer was Robert Sharma, leading run scorer in the tournament, first man ever to score 500s in a tournament. Jasprit Bumrah was, well, Jasprit Bumrah, amazing. Um, a fading star award here to MS Dhoni. Jai mm. was sad to see him struggling. Hope he isn't the way he bows out and he can play a few more vintage knocks before he calls it a day. Overall score, 7.5. Didn't live up to expectations, but not only lost to the finalists, so no disgrace there. I have to agree, but um, I must say that I, I did have bigger expectations yeah. for India, um, and to see them get knocked out in that semi was a real surprise, even though the Kiwis played out of their skins. Yeah, well, I mean, they were in such a strong position. i tell you what, actually, on the, on the point of India, and on the point of playing extra time, because we, we, we've just said... Right. This is the, again the super over. The super over is the villain of this World Cup, mate. The super over has got your guy. Do you know why? Because the whole time we were saying, why aren't they re- using reserve day? They need to use reserve days. Reserve, reserve days day. are good. Get us more reserve days. And do you know what? What if it rains? It's England. We took a little bit of extra time to play that semi final. We played it over two days, and it was great. It was really good. That's my point. Yeah. That's my point. You took a little bit of extra time to get a result. And everyone walked away the better. In the final, you were in, intent on rushing the damn thing. And whilst we have walked away with a winner, and I will grant you that the winner has been the best performed side over a period of uh, 18, 18 to 24 months, I'm not convinced that we got the best team on the day. And um, if we had taken just a few more minutes to find a result, we all might be feeling a little bit more glad. And maybe England would have, maybe England would have won in extra time, and that's fine. Maybe they would have. Maybe they would have. Uh, but and we would have all been happier about that. I think if there's one sport that can afford to take its time, it's cricket. We're all it's expecting cricket. it to go for a while. Nobody's expecting it to be ending in five minutes. We were pandering to a section of the new cricket crowd um, that we shouldn't have been pandering to with the Super Over. It, it's a real. I, I mean, fine. You want to keep it for T20? That's fine. Um, but for all other uh, versions of the game, let's just get rid of that nonsense. Yeah, it's Can just- you imagine there's a super over for tied test oh. cricket? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It makes me feel physically ill. Mm-hmm. I feel Don't ill. Like um, let's hear from Spinksy. Alex Spinks mm. is going to give us a little wrap-up of the, the Aussies in the Beautiful. World Cup. So we've never got a tape from Spinksy before. Mm-hmm. Let's run this up the flagpole and see who salutes. Good evening to Fernand Nation. It's your newest edition, Spinksy McGill here. After that insanity-filled epic finale to the 2019 ODI World Cup, here's a quickish roundup of Australia's performance in the tournament. So first off, a couple of good things. 
Much has been said about the return of our ex-captains, banned for mimicking Shahid Afridi and Faf Plessis, but making the mistake of doing it in Faf Plessis' backyard, and their good form in the tournament as well, Warner being our best batsman and Smith having our fourth best average. Stark taking the record for most wickets in a World Cup from Glenn McGrath. Interestingly, McGrath took 26 wickets in 11 innings and never took more than three wickets in a match, whereas Stark took 27 in 10 innings with two five-wicket hauls along the way. But for me... The best part of this tournament was the Australian team, who even three months ago weren't even considered decent odds to make the finals. They finished second on the table and made the semis. Mythology of winning mentality aside, you can't ask much more from your team than that. Well done to the boys. Now, for things the team need to work on, I just draw your eye to an interesting statistic from the tournament. Our best-rated bowler for economy is Pat Cummins in 23rd place, with an economy of 4.96 runs per over. Next best is Jason Berendorf in 28th with 5.14, Nathan Lyon in 35th with 5.32 runs per over, and rounding out our first choice attack is the next best, Mitchell Stark in 43rd place with 5.44 runs per over. This means that if you round out Australia's first choice attack, by the end of the tournament our best bowlers are averaging 5.22 runs per over as a unit. And that's not including our all-rounders to worsen that average, which pushes the economy above 5.4. Compare that with England's whole attack, averaging 4.96 as a unit, India at 5.08, and New Zealand's attack with an impressive 4.83. It's pretty clear that Australia's batsmen have to, on average, work harder to chase or set up big totals more often than the other top teams in world cricket. If only there was a way to improve our batting performances to cover this discrepancy. <laughs> to summarise, the team exceeded expectations, unearthed a gem of a keeper batsman in Alex Carey, and gave us the perfect lead into the real tournament, the Ashes. Four Bradmans out of five. Aww. Really solid stuff there from Spinky. Really, really solid stuff from Spinky. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? That makes you feel good. That was nice. It really, it really does. It really does. Um, look, Chris, interesting point there about uh, how many runs our bowlers have been going for. I hadn't really considered that, but yeah. there's Spinksy's got on the money there. Um, and we saw it in the game last night with the Kiwis, mm. how tight their bowling unit kept it. Mm. It was Starkey's always going to go for a couple. Mm. We know mm. that in our hearts, but um, to know that Paddy Cummins was our best and was still going for over four and over, there's something in that. Yeah, I think, well, obviously, as we've learned, um, makes a comparison between McGrath and Stark there. Obviously, with, with Stark surpassing McGrath, most wickets taken in the World Cup, hats off, wonderful. But uh, as, as we've learned, from the final, apparently, 50 over cricket, wickets mean nothing. <laughs> Don't mean a damn thing. Um, you know what does mean something, Pat? Runs. What's Runs. that, Chris? And, fours. Um, if you, yeah, fours. Oh, but, but I tell you what, Michael Bevan would be turning in his um, $4 million bench. Not yet grave. Like... <laughs> Once Michael Bevan dies, he'll be turning oh, in his grave yeah. about this. Well, he'll, he's going he's gonna to think about it for a while. Um, <laughs> until then. A long life, mate. I, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, the comparison between Stark and McGrath is an interesting one because obviously Stark's taking more wickets. You know, arguably ball of the um, baller tournament is an incredible bowler. In a World, in a World Cup, Cup, that is. Incredible yeah, yeah. bowler. Um, but McGrath's economy rate... I'd be willing to bet mm. uh, would be significantly 
better. Superior. And if we've learned nothing else, it's that 50 over cricket values runs more than wickets at this stage, um, which is wrong. And one of the things I think the Australian attack uh, missed was a metronome. Um, We didn't have someone that was... A bird, a Hazelwood. A bird, a Hazelwood. Um, even an yeah. Adam Dale. Oh, he would have been great. Adam Dale, um, McGrath. Just someone to soak up the run. Trent Copeland. Yep. Spinksy. Trent Copeland would have been all right. Um, I think that was something that we that we lacked um, in terms of in terms of our attack. Um, you know, obviously, obviously we have you know some depth in terms of the left armers that can move it around. Um, you know, Pat Cummins hits the deck hard, tries his heart out. Um, love watching him go about his cricket. But what we didn't have was a brilliant line and length bowler, just an absolute metronome. Um, one thing I was interested in was the spin bowling uh, option. Um, in yeah. the lead up, um, Zampa and Lyon were prolific as a as a tandem, and we didn't see it at all. Um, and Zampa um, was tried in the early games and and then um, got, belted. got belted, and then Frankly. dropped in favour for uh, dropped in favour for Lyon. And in some games, we didn't go with a spinner at all. So that's something where um, I'm just not sure that we've quite worked that out um, in terms of our spin bowling options. I'm sure people close to the Australian team who know more about these things know way more than I do. Um, but I think also one of the other areas that, that and which Spinksy rightly hit on the head there, is our fifth bowling option. We, we haven't yeah. worked that out. We don't have a reliable fifth bowling option at the moment. Um, Stoinis, Marcus no, Stoinis Stoin just did not look good. didn't have his, his, his best uh, couple of weeks um, with bat or ball. Um, and it was pretty good in the field. It wasn't, but yeah, but it was, yeah, you're right. It was pretty mate. good in the field. He was pedestrian with the ball, wasn't he? I mean, Stoin, in my mind, bowls around 130, 135. Um, yeah. and I think he was carrying no side injuries this whole tournament really mm. cause he never really got above 128 um and and yeah accuracy was a problem too yeah. the same goes for maxi like maxi bowled okay but far out he got taken to a couple of times as well um and that just means we had a we had a lack of flexibility mm. in those middle overs do you know what it is chris i was watching plunkett bowl last night um in those middle overs and i got reminded of nathan bracken yeah like he was bowling nothing but cutters mm-hmm cutters and little seamers and little nibbly nabblies mm-hmm. and the Gronholm was doing the exact same thing and in English conditions in those middle overs I think that's going to be more valuable than your two spinners uh, your two spinners can be extraordinary and we saw that in a lot of games yeah. of the World Cup especially um, before the World Cup I should say um, Pakistan, India etc and I think they'll play a big role when we play in those subcontinental conditions but a little Nathan Bracken de Grandholm Plunkett nibbler yeah. um, well I think t- you know who I was really thinking of was Tim Burns <laughs> our mate Burnsy um, Burnsy if you're listening get a pal um, just bowling nibbly cutters well, um, just taking with I, it I think, I think one player that we had at the last World Cup that we've missed from this one um, not really around the Australian team any longer um, geez James Faulkner uh, yeah Jimmy Faulkner he was a great closer yeah. with the ball the and a great closer with the bat um, so someone like that I think that fifth bowling option we're still working through and we haven't quite found a solution and maybe it lies in Marcus Stoinis and, and it lies with um, Mitch Marsh or someone we already have but but um, 
just hasn't emerged just yet, but still plenty of positives. What question? One question I want to throw to you, Pat, is there's a lot of um, conjecture and commentary around um, around Glenn Maxwell, which um, and people say, well, Glenn Maxwell does this, Glenn Maxwell does that. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Um, you know, why does he do the things he does? Let me ask you this: What do we expect? What do we expect from Glenn Maxwell? Can you tell me that? Yeah, I can. I expect um, 45 off 15 and 3 for 20. Right, right. So so nothing too unreasonable. Um, no, that's 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 what I'm wanting from Maxi. Um, I'll even take 10 overs, um, none for 40. Sure. Like, that'd be great. But I need a 40 from the bat from that guy. But if he's not hitting 40s, you know, Chris, you and I have said this about bloody test cricketers all the time. We want 40s, Yeah, Chris. but we're not playing test cricket here, We want here, bloody 40s. We're not playing test cricket. We're playing 50 over cricket. I know we're and not. You've, you've just... I want a 40, but faster is what I want. <laughs> you've just asked a part-time off-spinner to take none for 40, yet our good friend, Alex Spinks, has just said that not even our best bowler could manage <laughs> 40 runs off 10 overs over the course of the tournament. So... We've got high expectations. I'm not going to reject the fact that I don't have high expectations, Chris. <laughs> high expectations. I would just... I don't think... I'm sure within the four walls of the Australian team is a clarified role for Glenn Maxwell. Um, and it, it's, you know, I think clearly it's, it's, he is the human roulette wheel. It's, you know what, we're going to, I want you to, we want you to go in there, accelerate, play your natural game, do what you do. And if we get, you know, 33 off 10, which we got one game, by the way, um, we'll take it. If we get um, 100 off, you know, 75, we'll take it. But we run, we, we acknowledge that, Glenn Maxwell's game is high risk, high reward. And um, mm. I just think that um, when he's out of the team, people are calling for his inclusion. When he's in the team, people are calling for him to be dropped and get ex- extremely frustrated. But I think you need to acknowledge the player that he is and acknowledge what you're going to get. And a lot of times he's, he comes in in the most unforgivable um, circumstances with not much to work with and is expected to escalate the innings incredibly quickly and play high-risk shots. And when you play high-risk shots, you're likely to lose your wicket. So I feel a bit defensive about Glenn Maxwell at the moment because um, I think he gets um, too much stick um, for the role that he is, externally at least, appeared to play. Um, and I think, I think our expectations are unrealistic. It's. I think you're right. He does. He is under unrealistic expectations. But mate, the way that he gets out so often is horrific. Like, it just makes you put your head in your hands and go, "Oh my god! Like, what are we? What are we doing here? Like, what was that? They're uppercuts, or it's a cut shot that somehow gets a top edge and goes to the keeper." Or it's a reverse sweep where he gets bold, and you just like yeah. But if it comes off, it, he's a genius. So this yeah, is I know. this is my point. Is that and 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 when people ask, when when uh, what what tell me what is Glenn Maxwell's batting position in the batting order? Six is it? Because he's coming at a lot higher in different points of the game, and he's coming a lot lower. Mm. Um, and um, well, not a lot lower. He's probably coming at seven, but. Um, Oftentimes, he's described as a floater. Now, that doesn't offer a lot of certainty for a man. And how, is he, and how does he prepare for that? So, perhaps the answer lies in, okay, um, Maxi, 
Um, look, you're slated to come in at six, but we're going to bring you at the we're going to bring you in at the thir- the thirty fifth over. So whatever wicket falls in at the thirty fifth over, you're in next. And if that's the ro- if that's the role, then great. Um, but I think there have been times where that's sort of been slated in his role, um, but then Peter Hanscom's come out the bat, or uh, you know, not in his last game, but you know, someone else has come out the bat in front of him, and you're like, well, no, yeah, no, no, this yeah, is the time yeah, for Maxwell. Yeah. So what, I, I just I I feel a bit defensive about him at the moment, mate. While we're on the subject of Maxwell, let's just have a really. I think we can wrap the World Cup there and say thank you, World Cup. You were awesome. And let's just take five or six minutes to really quickly talk about the Ashes coming up, Chris, because they are coming up so fast. Mm. We've basically got a month, less than that. We've got three weeks before we're in the, one of the biggest Ashes contests of our entire lives. Um, and and it's going to be an epic time. And currently, it's a big game being played. There's a bit of conjecture about who's going to be in the side. Um, Australia A are playing the England Lions and we made 300 Chris and 97 with that man Matthew Wade getting 114 Trav Head getting 139 not out um, and a couple of ducks down the lower middle order there but Mitchell Marsh with a 38 and currently uh, at about 11.30pm um, on Tuesday the 15th where Monday the 15th I should say we've got the Poms uh, the English Lions, I should say, sitting at three for ninety. So, some good preparation here, Bardo. I guess the big question is um, who's making your side, and um, what we can expect out of that first game in Edgebaston. Yeah, look, um, it's a great question. I look, I think in terms of the first, uh, the first test for Edgebaston. Um, there's some really interesting choices to make. Um, just quietly, Peter Settle is in the um, 25, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, and so is Cameron Bancroft. Now, that would be interesting. Um, anyway, um, some interesting choices to be made. Look, I think the top of the order, on the back of his form in the shorter form of the game, uh, for me, I think you have to reinstate David Warner at the top of the order. Um, I have to agree. Even though I said on our previous episode that I'd never see him back in those Aussie colours. I think he's got to be back in those other colours. I'm turning my boat there. I come back to the Jay-Z thing of first they love you, then they hate you, then they love you again. Um, That's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly what we're Scoring scoring runs cures all ills. It it really does. It calls all the wins. So I think you have to reinstate David Warner at the top of the order. Uh, I think, which is a, you know, far away from where I was six six weeks ago. Um, Me too. Coming in at three, I think Usman is still the most reliable option. Um, he was solid. Have you got Harris there along with Davey? Sorry, yeah, good point. Um, opening partner, I think I think probably Marcus Harris. I think probably Marcus Harris. It's, it's, it is a tough call, um, but he does seem to be the best uh, option at the moment. Um, for me, then, Usman Kawaja comes in at three, fitness pending. Uh, Steve Smith in at four. Um, number five is an interesting one. Um, I, I think yeah. you'll probably go with uh, you probably go with Curtis Patterson. For mine, Trav Head. Ah, Trav Head. Trav Head. Trav Head. Mm, I think. Look, I think Curtis Patterson. I just think in, in English conditions. I just think he's a test match batch, bat, test match uh, batsman. Um, 
Although that being said, Travis Head's obviously in good form at the moment, making some uh, great runs yeah, for Australia. Just for the 135, right? yeah. Um, so that's a tough call. Um, Patterson gets the nod just for me. Um, I think based on current form, you have to pick Matthew Wade at number six. Um, you gotta. I just think I. You gotta. I just think you have to. I think it's just a mountain of runs. It's hard to ignore. Um, and at the end of the day, that's that's what that's all about. And then you can have that guy just attacking. Just, just you know, um, he'd be a great option to bat with the tail. Um, I'm going to go with his Tasmanian teammate uh, and current Australian captain, Tim Payne, at seven. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's probably still the best gloveman uh, in, in the country. would love just to see him make a few more runs. Um, but um, he, he's still the man in the job for mine. Um, coming in at eight, I think you'll have um, Pat Cummins, uh, in at nine, uh, you will have uh, Mitchell Stark. And uh, 10, you've got Nathan Lyon as the first choice spinner. And 11, now this is interesting. Uh, normally, you would, of course, pick um, uh, Josh Hazelwood, Hazelwood. as your mm. your first choice uh, metronome. But there are a few other guys floating around here, Pat. And I think that this is going to be really interesting is the makeup of the, of the pace attack. Because um, if you've seen James Pattinson bowl lately... Um, yeah, he's bowling. He, he looks incredible. Um, you know, um, Chris Tremaine is another interesting choice. As we've said before, really reminiscent of uh, Steve Harmison, uh, and um, and the, Jackson the Birdman Bird has been taking a bunch of wickets. Jason too. Bird, um, a bit of sideways movement, and the other dark horse which I throw in there, if fit, is Jai Richardson. Um, we yeah. if fit, if fit. Um, his, he would just be a really, really interesting prospect in English conditions, and may give the opposition a handful. So there's some depth there in our bowling, uh, in our bowling uh, uh, stocks. Um, a little bit light on in the spin uh, bowling department. Um, thankfully, we have the goat, though the best off spinner in the world, um, and um, you know, be great to watch. Look, I think we are a better team than the last time we toured England. So um, that's something really exciting to to look forward to. Uh, and uh, gee, it's going to be a, a tough old uh, selector's job, I think. It's not a lovely place to start, Chris. I mean, we're going to have a great record at Edgebaston. I mean, I'd love to start at any other ground, but I guess if we do Edgebaston now, we get it out of the way, then then things only get easier from there. Well, um, it's only a ground, you know. Pat. The pitch is still 22 yards long, and there's still three stumps at either <laughs> end. So, um, you know, it's it, these things can often be psychological. Yeah, yeah. And as we've known, Chris, psychology plays a big part in it. So, look, that's August 1, that first game at Edgebaston. Um, we can expect a lot of noise there. And then the second test is at Lords, which we should be pretty good at. Third at Headingley, which I can't remember. Fourth at Old Trafford. And fifth at the Oval. So, it's going to be a hell of a series, Chris. And I reckon we come back um, a couple of days, a day or two out from the first test starting in late July mm-hmm. and have another chat again. But, mate, I just wanted to say thank you, Bardo, um, for for being here with me, for doing this World Cup. This has been the most amount of episodes you and I have ever pumped out. And a big thanks to Spinksy mm-hmm. as well for coming in and filling in, um, being the Stuart McGill of Two for None. Really appreciate that. And, mate, I, I'm really proud of the work that we've done in the last little bit. I've really enjoyed it. And I want to find a way to keep it going, mate. So really, really, really fun. Really good. Yeah, no, brilliant stuff, Pat. Um, I think uh, on behalf of all the Two for None uh, team, uh, myself, Chris Goodman Goodrick, Michael Wood, Tom K. Hawkey, Adam Hassan, Alex Spinks, Heidi Cheadle, 
Am I missing anyone? No, I'm not. Uh, Jaising. How could I? How could I forget? <laughs> he he'll be upset about that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, Pat, you've uh, you know you, you do a tremendous job of uh, putting every episode together. Um, you know, uh, bringing energy, enthusiasm, uh, accuracy optional. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Correct. You know, you bring a lot of heat. The line and length is, you know, it is what it is. Um, but uh, no, no. Look, uh, I think uh, on the back of your energy and enthusiasm. Um, we formed a lovely little community, a lovely little team, and uh, you know who knows? Perhaps there's a trip to uh, Stewart Island in the offing. We'll see. Could we be so lucky, Chris? Thank you so much for your time. I thank you for your kind words. Thank you to all our correspondents for their wonderful work over the last couple of weeks. Of the World Cup. We're going to take a well-deserved break, ladies and gentlemen, and we will be back at the end of July to rejoin you for the Ashes series. Thank you so much for your time. If you haven't yet, make sure you go to the iTunes store. You like, rate, review the podcast. You share it around. You spread it to your friends, and uh, let's get the word out about this this good good guy. But uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? No, mate. It's. Uh uh, World Cup is over. Thank God. <laughs> Thank, Thank God. God for that. Uh, no, a lot of fun. Best World Cup ever. Um, will we see the best Ashes ever? Who knows? Let's hope so. We can only hope. Uh, thank you, B-Train, you're a legend. And one last thing, ladies and gentlemen, as always, go go, I'll say...